to another special edition of Crown Conversations. Joining me today is Scott from Habs Eyes on the Prize, sister SBN blog who is covering all things Habs. I was going to say something totally different and then my brain just stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining me, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. We were talking before the show and I think both of us at the end of the work week are just kind of like, okay, we have to record this show and try and get all of our thoughts out coherently. So uh, I'm very excited to be here and uh, share whatever it is I can about the Canadians for uh, every, our friends over at uh, Jewels from the Crown. <laughs> um, speaking of coherent, the Habs, uh, sometimes they look really good and then sometimes you don't understand exactly what's happening in that game. And I guess that's fair to say of basically everybody. But what I'm trying to say is basically – they're probably one of the lesser consistent teams early in the season so far. Yeah, it's been very strange in that I look at the NHL's like Super 16 rankings that they put up all the time, and they've beaten Toronto twice. They've beaten um, St. Louis twice in the span of a week. They've beaten Vegas. They've beaten Arizona but then they lost to Detroit, and then they lost recently. Uh, they had a disappointing showing against Philadelphia, even if they got a point out of it, thanks to Carey Price. And it's strange that they seem to always be playing down to teams, which kind of worries me going into Saturday, because I know LA is not exactly lighting the world on fire to start the year. So I'm kind of concerned about what Canadians team is going to come out on Saturday. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, you're talking about how the Habs play down to their their opponent and the Kings, largely on the back of Jack Campbell, barely eked out a point against the Sens, who are trying to tank, who are admittedly trying to tank. And it was just, it was a, a mess, <laughs> we'll put it that way. My biggest surprise is that I keep forgetting Jack Campbell is an NHL goalie now (laughs) because he had that whole weird stretch through Dallas and everything else until he ended up in LA. And then it seems like even with the Kings being as bad as they have been, he's become maybe the player he was supposed to be. Gotta love Dusty Emu. Oh, I miss Dusty. (laughs) Come back to us, Dusty. Sorry. I have to do this at least once a podcast. (laughs) Fair enough. I I totally understand it. He's done really, I mean, like, he totally revitalized Peter Budai's career and made him look like a competent NHL goalie again. Like, Oh, Boots. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, okay, that's not, 
that's not to say anything bad about Budai. I mean, who was like very nice person and my very limited interactions, but you know, it's just his, his career had gotten to the point where he was barely an, an, an AHL serviceable goalie. And then working under Dusty's tutelage, I mean, he just was really good. So we miss you, Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about uh, the goaltending. Obviously, there's Carey Price, and then there is Keith Kincaid. What was, I mean, were the Habs just looking for somebody who can occasionally stop a puck, hopefully? Well, after last year, Antti Niemi was nothing but a certifiable disaster in the backup position to the point that trying to give Carey Price a night off was, and we, the term scheduled loss gets thrown on a lot with backups, but it, unless he was playing the Panthers, he had nothing like in every single game. So their whole thought process this year and what Carey Price said was he wants a goalie that's a veteran who he doesn't have to babysit, you know, and kind of mentor and net because right now Price is getting to the end of his prime and trying to win a Stanley cup. He doesn't want to necessarily be there to try and take on the role of mentoring someone like Charlie Lingen or Caden Primo in the AHL. So what he ended up, they ended up getting Keith Kincaid who seems to be exactly what he's looking for. Kincaid's played in the league long enough. He knows what to expect. He doesn't need his hand held through anything. He's just a veteran that they can count on for at least to give them an attempt to win a game. And I know he's only got one win on the year, but some of the games he faced, he faced Buffalo when they were red hot and got absolutely burnt by the Habs. Terrible penalty kill. He had an unfortunate showing in Minnesota where again, the penalty kill let him down. And then he somehow was playing his worst game of the year, eked out a win in Vegas in one of the most insane third period comebacks I've seen in a long time. And it's nice to have someone that I think the Canadians can trust that I go, oh, Kincaid's starting. All right, so the offense has to be a little bit better, but I don't have to worry about, you know, a floater from the blue line going in every single time. Like there were moments with Niemi last year that were like that. So I get what they were thinking. They were looking for a quality person who can give them around league average goaltending, hopefully in the backup spot. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought Keith Kincaid was around a 900 goalie last year with the Devils. He was, and part of that concerned me, but I also looked at how bad the Devils were last year. And out of everything, it seems like his career numbers were better overall than just last year. The Devils were a disaster, and they continue to start this year as a disaster. And I don't put it all on Kincaid because even like Corey Schneider hasn't been very good this year. Mackenzie Blackwood hasn't been very good. Something about goaltenders in New Jersey just wasn't working. And I'm not going to say that he's flawless this year or anything, but he's an upgrade on what Montreal's had in the past couple years at the backup position. So he's probably a little bit better than his record indicates. Absolutely. He's had the Vegas game was extremely poor, but the games he played against the wild in Buffalo, he was one of the few people keeping the team, keeping the Canadians in the game, which is good to see that a backup can do that. He made a lot of big saves, but when the penalty kill doesn't function like it's supposed to, there's really nothing you can do about it. You're kind of left out to dry there. Um, Speaking of the penalty kill, 
Uh, LA has, over the course of two games, started to climb out of the basement. They are now just under, well, they're slightly above Winnipeg right now, um, but they're a little bit below the Habs, who have a surprisingly bad PK. Like, what's up with that? Well, here's the thing is, I want to know if the numbers have gone up at all because Montreal's been a lot better on the penalty kill since a couple of their disastrous games. They went six for six in a loss to Philadelphia the other night, which can only help. But part of it is that with guys like Shea Weber and Ben Sherratt on the penalty kill, they're not as mobile as they need to to pressure puck carriers when they enter their part of the ice that they're covering. But Claude Julien seems to have switched it up, and we're seeing more guys like Victor Mete, Jeff Petrie, and uh, the rookie Kale Fleury who are mobile and uh, like to attack the puck carrier with, and either lay the body or use a good stick and kind of disrupt their flow. And it was working against Philadelphia. Despite being outshot heavily, a lot of the shots on the penalty kill were coming from the outside where they were forced to by the penalty killing units. And they were rotating – almost every defenseman not named Mike Riley through everything. So it seems like they might've turned the corner and now they've adjusted a little bit. It's still not perfect. And I think they can be beat by a team with speed, but the start the year, it's just, they were too immobile, too static and teams only had to get a couple of, you know, East West passes and people are out of position and the goalies have no, had no chance at it. Well, I don't think that you have to worry about the Habs penalty kill on Saturday uh, because LA's power play is at a sparkling 10% on the year. Oh, I've been there before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was last year for Montreal. It's like, hey, they've got a power play. Well, it's like, I'll see you in two minutes. Nothing's going to happen here. The funny thing about LA's power play is that they're creating high danger chances they're getting lots of shots they're taking a lot of um shot attempts but for some reason or another it's just not going in but it seems like uh, the Habs are perfectly average on their power play right now and a lot of that is because they switched the units what started the year as the second unit is now the first unit because the first unit to start the year featured Shea Weber and the offense was just get the puck to Shea, let him try and maim somebody. That was the offensive plan. And teams just had to stick someone kind of in the way there and block the passing lane, and that was it. Like, there was no real defense that had to be played. There wasn't any mobility to it. A lot like their penalty kill, it didn't force teams to pressure them or make movements. And now that they put the unit with Jeff Petrie and Jonathan Drouin has come alive and Nick Suzuki has come into his own, the new top unit is a lot more based on movement and cycling the puck through the zone and getting into better shooting lanes. And it's become a lot more effective in that regard. And the second unit still has Shea Weber, where even if it's a simple plan, sometimes trying to stop a full on shot from Shea Weber isn't an easy task, even for the best goalies in the league. Didn't somebody recently suffer some fractured tibia trying to stop a Shea Weber uh, slap shot. Poor Joel Erickson Eck of the <laughs> Minnesota Wild blocked not one, not two, three straight blasts from oh Shea Weber gosh. on the same penalty kill that even the broadcast for the Canadians like couldn't help but laugh that someone had the poor luck to have that happen to them. I was shocked he even got off the ice because they weren't like wrist shots. 
he took a full slap shot from him, and I Ooh. can't imagine that one felt good, let alone getting hit in the same spot three times feels any better. Either he's brave or stupid, and in the NHL, sometimes they go hand in hand. <laughs> it's a it's a flat circle. There is no uh, there's not a lot of difference in the NHL. I think. Oh, uh, that's true. Um, okay, speaking of the offense, there is a familiar face on the roster. I don't know how much he's played. Actually, there's a, a few familiar faces. Uh, Nate Thompson, Max Domi, and Jordan Wheel. We are most familiar with Jordan Wheel. I hope you're taking good care of my son. And uh, Nate Thompson. Jordan Wheel is unfortunately the odd man out on the Canadians' fourth line right now. Since Nick Cousins has come back, he's played extremely well in the role, generating offense, and he was a big driver against Philadelphia and creating uh, the opening goal for noted sniper Ben Sherratt. (laughs) And Nate Thompson has been the anchor there in the middle. He's not the flashiest, and even his possession numbers aren't great, but he's doing the right things that he's winning the face-offs not allowing goals against and just trying to get the puck out enough that Claude Julian usually uses him up in the lineup late in the game to either take, you know, important face-off draws or anything like that. So Thompson has been perfectly serviceable in what they brought him back for. And it looks like he's a really good member of the team, just kind of fitting in. And especially with like Max Domi and Arturi Lekin and a lot of the guys who hang out together, Nate Thompson's fit right in there and he fits in with the dad's club with Carrie Price and Jeff Petrie and everyone else too so he's become a quick fan favorite there he's not always going to be impressive but I think he's got something like six or seven points on the year which is better than I expected overall and then I'm hoping Jordan Wheel will come back because something's been up with Paul Byron and if anyone should take his spot in the lineup I think Wheel is someone who fills a lot of the same needs as Paul Byron without the game-breaking speed that number 41 has. Yeah, poor Jordan Wheel. It seems like his whole career, he's always been kind of that odd man out. And part of it is that he is a small boy. He's listed at 5'10", but I think it's a lie. (laughs) Yeah, he's not large, but... At the same time, he had a very, I'm very shocked that he's kind of ended up as the odd man out in Montreal after his uh, very good start coming over from Arizona last year. Uh, speaking of Arizona, Max Domi, uh, he was one of their, I don't want to say villains, but he definitely liked to play up that kind of pesty role. And uh, it seems that he has really found a home with the, uh, with the, the Habs. Something about the bright lights at the Bell Center has brought out (laughs) Max Domi's competitive side. And he's on a little bit of a point slump right now. I think he has one goal in his last six games. But he looks involved in every single shift. He's doing a lot of very good things. And the best part is, a big issue we had last year was minor penalties. So far this year, he hasn't taken a single penalty on the season which is insane and means he's staying on the ice to help drive offense for his team. And I think a game against LA at the bell center on Saturday night is going, you're going to see feisty Max Domi again. And I know that there's any number of targets on the Kings that he could just run his mouth at to try and get them off their game. It's something he uh, took a lot of joy in doing to poor Zach Smith in Ottawa last year. I have a feeling it's going to be Drew Doughty. 
I can only <laughs> hope so, because if Matthew <laughs> Kachuk has shown me anything, it's that Dowdy definitely can be uh, suckered into the uh, um, trash talk and mind games, and Domi's all about that. Oh, yes. Sometimes, sometimes he's not, but there are other times when he just, I guess, I mean, I guess it happens to the best of us, where you just have that one irritating person who will not shut up, and you're just like, I am going to strangle you if you do not get out of my face, and you know, Dowdy has a temper, so it'll be really fun to see Domi versus Dowdy on Saturday. Yeah, it'll be interesting. If Drew wants to try and get close to Max, he's also going to have to probably go through Shea Weber, which I don't <laughs> think is the thing Drew Dowdy wants to do. But Shea Weber is old. <laughs> to, put it, to put it lightly, he's 34. He's, he's not fleet of foot. I mean, yeah, he's still he's still really tough and he's, he's got that cannon of a shot still, but he's not, he's not a spring chicken. Yeah. Well, you don't got to be a spring chicken after the whistle for what, cause Shea Weber through everything. It's very rare that I see anyone continue to try and keep an altercation going when Shea Weber gets anywhere near them. Cause quite frankly, the man's terrifying at his size and he's built like, a caveman basically <laughs> he's got that next level just it's not finesse it's just raw power and everything he does it's not pretty always but he gets it's effective when it wants to be that is true uh so another familiar name on the roster that i'm just seeing christian folin our good <laughs> swedish veteran <laughs> oh i miss uh, him <laughs> um how has he been for the hab so far in the press box, mostly. He um, lost his spot to Kale Flurry in the preseason. Flurry was out for a few games because of a minor injury and just needing to uh, tweak some things in his game to Claude Julien's liking. And since then, Flurry has come back into the lineup and he has absolutely just kept the spot. He plays physically, he generates offense, and he is just perfect for what they're looking for he's learning as he goes and it's nice to have Christian Folan as a backup option because he played very well last year when he was paired with Jordy Ben on a very hilarious pairing where there was a very short bearded Canadian man and a very tall blonde Swedish man <laughs> on the same pairing but he's someone that it wouldn't shock me if he doesn't play more than like 30 games this year or if he's part of a trade package just because it seems like he's lost his spot for the time being to Kale Flurry, and unless Flurry gets injured or plays truly utterly terrible, I don't see him coming out of the lineup anytime soon. Seems like kind of our ex kings are not really they're uh, they're press box people mostly. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's not like they're all playing badly. It's just that the Canadians' roster for the first time in a while is very deep. So it gives Claude Julian and the other coaches options on what they want to do with the lineup on any given night. So Claude Julian, he's been the Habs coach for, what is it, two, three seasons now? He came in halfway through, I believe it was 2016 or 2017. Oh. I don't know. It hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been that long because everything takes, feels like it's been 10 years at a time. But he took over on Valentine's Day. They fired their head coach, Michel Therrien, on Valentine's Day, the year that he was fired. 
and they hired Claude Julian on the same day. And it's just one, it was one of the strangest days I've ever been around, but he's done a lot to revitalize a team that was stuck kind of in the mud and going through undoing a lot of Mark Bergevin's mistakes. And it seems like the team is finally getting to where he wants it to. It's just like we said earlier, they just need to find that consistency from uh, in the results overall, I think. I'm so glad you brought up Mark Bergevin because he has had, I think you described it before as galaxy brain trades. And if it wasn't you, it was somebody else who described it that way. But it seems like in the last couple of years, he's made a lot of mm, smart trades, trades that on the surface you're kind of going, huh? But then they just work out so well for the Habs. And it's not like the, the, like you're, you're trading like a first round pick for like some really old guy again. Yeah, he's, it's very strange when Mark Bergevin makes trades that affect like the bottom six or depth. It's incredible. Like he got Jordan wheel for an AHL player. He got Brett Kulak for and a guy who was playing, who put up eight points in the AHL after he was traded, and Renat Valiev, who was still playing in the AHL, I believe. But when he went big, like the Jonathan Drouin trade originally, it looks like he lost immediately, and now Drouin has kind of come into his own, so it might be time to revisit that, and obviously the Max Domi trade. But this offseason, he was very quiet. He had the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet. And they had a decent deal on the table for Jake Gardner, who opted to go to Carolina, which I understand. His big move was signing Ben Sherratt for three years, signing Nick Cousins, and then just getting his RFAs under contract, all of which he did with very affordable deals. It's very strange because I don't always know which Bergevin we're going to get when it mentions Montreal's in a trade because Canadians fans have been burned a lot before where – it's Mark Bergevin's making a trade and he gets Jeff Petrie for next to nothing or we get, you know, Subban for Weber. We never know what's coming with Mark Bergevin because he plays everything so close to the chest that nothing gets out until the trade is there. Being in a market such as Montreal, it's, it's very surprising to me that he is able to be so secretive. I have no idea how he does it either. It's It was rare last year when people mentioned, hey, Montreal is looking at Nate Thompson. I'm like, that can't be true. That's out in the press before like a trade comes on. Then the next day, you know, Nate Thompson was a hab and the rest is history. It's very weird when stuff comes out. Like they can mention that maybe they're looking at someone, but there's never anything definitive when it comes to Mark Bergevin. And I don't know if it's just he doesn't talk to anybody or he just intimidates them because his arms are the size of a small planet and they won't, uh, they won't dare cross Mark Bergevin by leaking any of his trades, but it's, I don't know how he does it. Like you said, in Montreal, everything gets spread there. That's just the nature of the market, but I'm actually a little bit more thankful for it because it's less rumors and nonsense to scrape through because Mark Bergevin doesn't leak things to the press and if anything, it's very easy to tell which side it's coming from because Bergevin doesn't talk all that often. I know this is kind of a random question, but because you brought up his arms, it made me think of it. Who do you think would win an arm wrestling contest between him and Rod Brindamore? <laughs> oh, man. Well, we've actually <laughs> talked about this before. 
we said GM Battle Royal, and everyone in the final has Mark Bergevin and Rod Brindamore. And then from there, it's an open debate from there on out. And the thing is, Mark Bergevin's got Trevor Timmons in his back top pocket, and Trevor Timmons used to be a former professional bodybuilder. In case you're wondering just why apparently everyone in Montreal just lift weight. They GM, and then they lift weights, and then they lift weights while they GM, apparently. <laughs> so I, I don't understand the phenomenon with it, but I'm, I'm all about it. I was wondering what was, uh, what was up with that. I guess there's something in the water in Montreal. <laughs> yes, clearly, and it was probably <laughs> protein, judging by the way the front office looks. Well, I guess they can speak to healthy habits, at least, and you don't get somebody in here who's like, you know, a really horrible person with with terrible habits trying to speak to all these young well I say young but you know youngish impressionable (laughs) guys be like hey this is what you need to succeed in the NHL it's very weird Bergevin started in Montreal and he was just you know a normal guy he looked like a former player so he was already you know decently athletically built like he went on the Canadians like behind the scenes show he'd go running every morning before he went to the rink to do GM stuff, I assume. I don't know what a GM does on a day-to-day basis, but, and then all of a sudden, like two years ago, he just showed up at the golf tournament and he's like, by the way, I'm swole as hell now. You're going to have to deal with that. And everyone's just kind of like, what the hell happened to him this off season? So. He met Timmons, clearly. Clearly. Yeah. That's the thing is they've been working together since, you know, 2012, 2013, but something, uh, Whatever it was, something clicked, and they must either started working out together or something, because he got, he looks like an entirely new person. <laughs> He's not a beanpole. Like, I remember in the early part of the decade, he was, I don't want to say a beanpole, but he was, he was skinny. He was slender, and now he does not look like that at all. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's the strangest thing. I'm like, cool. I'm just hoping it's all natural. <laughs> so that's the last thing Montreal needs is, is, you know, some ridiculous new, I have a satire story that just popped into my head now. So I'll be saving that one for April fool's day. I think. Yes. Uh, Mark Bergevin caught doping. I like it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to the, uh, the product on the ice. Um, so I just looked it up, and the Kings and the Habs are one and two on natural stat trick in Corsi four per sixty. They're separated by point two. One of those things surprises me, and it's not the Canadians because I thought the <laughs> Kings were like not supposed to be good this year, and part of that now tells me that it's all entirely goaltending related that well... they're generating so much but still losing so many games. I mean, it's, they give up a lot of uh, shots um, against per 60. And Hmm. so that, that definitely, or at least they give up like a lot of dangerous shots per 60. But the other issue is that for some reason or another, uh, much like their power play, it's just not going in. Like they, they're one of the top teams in creating high danger chances they get into like the 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 blue paint like they get into like the danger areas and they just manage to make every single goalie that they come against look like an Vezina like he should win a Vezina and it's very frustrating well it'll be interesting because 
high danger chances are something that the Canadians do tend to leak a lot in the slot. So it sounds like Carey Price is going to have to be up to his best abilities on Saturday night. And he usually is. He is Mr. Saturday night for a reason. (laughs) It's just going to be up to his defenders to try and keep the workload off of him and put the pressure on Jonathan Quick to stop literally anything, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking up the the halves right now. Uh, It looks like they are, again, one and two in Corsi against per 60. (laughs) So um, these teams, just at least statistically in terms of shot attempts, they're, they're very similar. Yeah, and it's very strange that they're in different spots. I know the Canadians aren't exactly lighting the world on fire, but it's amazing the difference that having goaltending can make in it because without Carey Price, you know, the Canadians are probably looking at a lottery team this year, even if his starts haven't always been the best. He is a game breaker and he tilts the scale a little bit. And even if his team's struggling, he gives them a chance to win and get their feet set underneath them. And they've done that a few times. They've had the comeback against Toronto where they were down it was a 4-1 game, and then Toronto blew the lead because <laughs> Carey Price stepped up and denied a ton of chances, and they've done that against the Bruins. He wasn't at his best, but at the end of the game when they had to hold on to a lead, he was there, and he shut the door on them. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him do the same against L.A. He's typically played well against L.A. It's just whenever they're on the West Coast, the Canadians are terrible, so they lose regardless of how well he plays. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I'm hoping for Carey Price having a really bad night out. Sorry. <laughs> we have five wins, okay? Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. I understand. <laughs> I've been there before. Trust me. Um, so what do you think we're going to see in this game? Any kind of prediction? I feel like either this game will go one of two ways. It's a defensive affair that Montreal sneaks out like 3-1 and everyone falls asleep during it or Jonathan Quick's going to melt down early and the Canadians are going to put up like four or five first period goals and then just coast for 40 minutes. I've, I've watched enough of the Kings this year and watched Jonathan Quick try to goaltend. And with the way that the Canadians can attack in four lines and attack with speed and pace, I think it could be a real rough night for LA. But LA could easily just as could flip the tables on Montreal if they can get to them early and put them off their game. Kind of take the air out of the balloon. If Montreal's riding high to start the game, get that goal, even if it's against the flow of play, and it kind of takes the legs out from underneath them. Who knows which teams we'll see hit the ice on Saturday. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. Well, at least hopefully it'll be an interesting game. Yes, that's all I'm hoping for is I always want interesting hockey. It's like I get home from, you know, work on Saturday, and the last thing I want to do is watch bad hockey. It's like it's it's my time to relax. Let me put my feet up. Let me have my glass of scotch and give me some enjoyable hockey, please. Some scotch for Scott, huh? Absolutely. It's winter now. Got to need something that uh, the snow is on the ground here in Rochester, so I need something to warm all the way through. There you go. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time, and hopefully I'll be back again uh, when they play later in the year out on the West Coast. Oh, uh, did you want to shout out your socials real quick? Uh, Yes, you can find me at Scott Matla, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-T-L-A on Twitter. 
I also co-host a the Eyes on the Prize radio and then also a daily show with my good friend, The Active Stick, at LO underscore Canadians. We do a show five times a week. That's all sorts of fun nonsense. In the last episode, we talked about glitter poutine and <laughs> Drew Doughty and argued over candy bars. So it's a good time. That sounds amazing. Yeah, you guys should check it out <laughs> to the listeners. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Scott. You have a great one. You too. Thank you. All right. All right.